from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Good morning. It's great to have you here on the Badass Counseling Show. I am your host, Sven Erlinson. And I am joined in studio today by KC over in the booth, waving at me with just part of her hand, only one of her fingers. Um, and I've got Rob the Rocket sitting next to me. Rob, good morning. Good day, my friend. And when I wave at you, I do use all my fingers. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> it is a beautiful, sunny morning here in the New York City tri-state area. And uh, we're so excited to everyone tuning in from Lisbon, to St. Paul, from Adelaide, to Ravello. We've got a great show. Uh, we've got uh, two women that we're talking to today who have um, agreed to open up and, and share their stories with us, and uh, it's going to be a great show. But before we get there, Rob has one quick thing he wants to share. He insisted on this. Go ahead, Rob. I, I'm very insistent. It's uh, actually some uh, listener uh, response that we got to an episode uh, last month. It was... Um, the one with uh, Beth, who um, only wanted to be what they want me to be. Anyway, people like that episode. And some of the response was from Jenny, amazing show, one of my favorites so far. I related to the guest so much and the way Sven pulled apart the meaning of her being inconsolable as a child. Wow, there was so much in this episode. And then Christine said, wow, this hit home. I cried the whole time. What do you think about that, Sven? Wow. What do you say? I mean, that's really powerful, and I'm glad it's good for us. How does how do you feel about it? You're the one that ran across that one, and, and I decided. was immediately impressed. It's great to hear. All right. Well, I, I tell you, thank you. And we get a lot of people writing in a lot of mail, and it means a lot to us uh, because we take take it serious, and we put a lot of TLC into this, and it matters. Uh, if we weren't making a difference in people's lives, we wouldn't do it. And so thank you all for the love that you send. Really, sincerely, we appreciate it. Rob, we've got two guests. Why don't you tell us, if you would please, about Kim and Erica. Happy to, Sven. First, Erica wrote to us and said, Sven, I've been manipulated for 13 years. I'm still in my marriage, but I'm completely isolated. I've given up my financial well-being when I became a stay-at-home mom. My husband works on the road and comes home only every so often, months, weeks sometimes. I'm realizing that I've been in a trauma bond and that I've been gaslighted, but how do I get out? When the money is tied up or moved when there is an argument, he lies all the time. I don't know what is the truth and what's not. I'm always on eggshells, feel that if I don't say anything, then everything is fine. But I feel like there's this voice that says, stick to the plan. I've had a pretty bad childhood and now I'm seeing patterns. I need hard advice that can change my life. Please help. And then we heard from Kim. And Kim said, she's a fan of your book, by the way. She said she's been working through the book. I just had an epiphany, she said, that I have never been anyone's first choice, including my dad. My first husband cheated on me. My second was extremely abusive. My third and fourth, I married the same guy twice, loves money over everything else. I'm currently still married to him. We're basically roommates again. I'm sleeping with my ex-brother-in-law who has a girlfriend who refuses to have sex with him, but he stays with her. I have a master's degree, so I feel I'm educated. So why am I not good enough to be someone's first choice? Good morning, ladies. It's great to have you here. Thank good you. Morning. 
Well, let's uh, go ahead and dive in. I, w- I want to get to uh, some of the, forgive me, some of the juicy stuff first. Uh, <laughs> this is so much fun. I'm like a kid in a candy store. Oh, I want that. Oh, what about this? All right. Um, I, I have to ask. I mean, Kim, we got we to gotta just hit that one first. Uh, you know what I'm going to ask, right? I'm sleeping with my ex-brother-in-law who has a girlfriend who refuses to have sex with him. Um, What in that do I most want to know? Okay, so you're married, sleeping with your ex-brother-in-law, so presumably your second husband's or first husband's brother. Is that right? No, no. This is my current husband's sister's ex-husband. Current husband's sister so basically okay your sister-in-law's oh wow yes you understand that when we have an affair with someone who is married now i understand you're married um but and setting the morality aside uh, because i'm not here to impose morality on anyone just to help you live your morality or live your own calling and passion in life but when the problem in having sex with or a relationship with someone who's in a relationship, that means at the most you are ever going to get from that person is half of them, really. Right. Right. And yet they get two people, but you're married as well. And so if you were to sum it up in one sentence or less, what is the function that uh, this man that you're sleeping with uh, serves in your life? If you were to put it in one tight sentence, what really is the function it serves in your life? Um, It gives me passion. I just, there's, I have no passion. Okay. And to what do you attribute the fact that you have no passion? When I remarried my, my husband, it was supposed to be different. You know, we were married for 15 years and we got divorced and we got remarried four years later and it was going to be different and we're exactly where we were, you know? And so I just, I, that hope is just gone. How did you become different in those four years between uh, the two marriages? How did you I didn't. change? I there didn't be, because, um, you know, we got divorced and, and it was his choice. He wanted the divorce. And so we got divorced. And then literally two weeks later, he called and said, I made a mistake. And so we moved right back in. We lived together for four years before we got remarried. Wow. So okay. nothing, nothing, nothing changed. changed. Right. And that's the problem. That's the problem. And the real problem is even if the other person never changes, and, and we have so many listeners going through this where they're considering getting out of a relationship, which is sort of, you guys are both sort of there in some respects, both asking that question in one way or another, is that if I get out of it and then I consider going back in or the other person's trying to sell me to come back in, in a way, it doesn't matter if they've changed. All that matters is have I changed because I'm the one that's going to have to hold them accountable every single time they keep acting in the ways they always acted that I don't like. So if you didn't change in between those two marriages, or if you don't change now, it is reasonable to assume you are going to repeat the exact same mistakes. You're going to allow someone to treat you poorly. And isn't that sort of the theme of your life is that you've never been anyone's first choice, including your dad. First husband cheated. Second was extremely abusive. It's just like these people taking advantage of you. And so it's, it sort of comes from a place of that's, I don't deserve any better or I'm terrified to stand up for myself, something along those lines. Yes. Yes. And what is your single biggest fear if you were to begin to stand up to yourself for yourself? Being alone for the rest of my life. And what is it about being alone that would suck so bad for you? I don't know. I guess my whole, 
my whole dream as a kid is wanting to be a wife, you know, wanting to have that, that whole wife life and, and being with someone and having that, that relationship. Fair enough. I guess it would be my dream. I would lose my dream, my childhood dream. You would lose your childhood dream. Okay. So now you are into your basically third marriage. Yes, it's fourth, but it's the same one twice. (laughs) So you're into your third marriage. And is it reasonable to assume you have not had your childhood dream? Correct? Correct. Okay. And uh, going back to dad, then this starts with dad. You were not dad's first choice. Dad didn't like you? Well, I didn't know. I had a really good childhood. My mom is is amazing. My dad was too, and, and they got divorced when I was 12. And mm-hmm. so up until I was 12, and I didn't even think it really mattered because I've, I've always been indifferent with my dad because he got remarried and he chose that second family. You know, he had no contact with my sister and I after he got remarried. So you did not, you ceased I, to matter after, at, yeah, after that in your right. belief system. You were taught that you did not matter. Right. But my sister and I were like, well, it doesn't, we don't care. And it didn't, we didn't think we cared. But after reading your book, I'm like, well, maybe I do care. Absolutely you do. And to that, and to that 12 year old girl, oh, it mattered. She, she protected herself. We protect ourselves by saying, oh, fuck it. I don't care. Fuck it. I'm fine. I'm okay. Right. But that's just protection bullshit. It's just like, no, that hurts, especially to a 12-year-old girl. You're just getting your period. You're just going into puberty when you are, when everything, boy, we think before age 12, we're, you know, what do people think of me and do mom and dad like me? Am I good or am I bad? But boy, age 12, age 13, a girl, a guy too. But it's like, oh my God, there is no other question. Am I any good? Do I matter? And to have the most powerful person in your life, one of two, most powerful people in your life turn their back on you. You stopped mattering. If you even matter before that, and that would be a really good question. But I want to flip over. So let's put a let's just put a pin in that. And I want to flip over here to Erica. Erica, I appreciate your coming on the show and, and being patient while I sort of got in it a bit there with Kim. Um, I want to ask you, you stated in in what you sent to us, I'm always on eggshells. I feel that that if I don't say anything, everything is fine. Uh, you know, trauma bond, gaslight, you know, all the all those w- words. And then you said this, but I feel like there's this voice that says stick to the plan. And I got to ask Erica, what is the plan? So I guess I already know what's going on in my life. Um, and I've known what's been going on in my life for a long time I and I've had this voice in my head that says just leave you can leave um you you are strong enough to go but there's always just something that holds me back if you were to sum it up in one sentence or less what holds you back Erica the fear of repeating my childhood the fear of repeating my trauma for my child when you say repeating your childhood, in what way? Above all else, in what way would you, if you were to you know, do that, in what way would you be re- repeating your childhood? I guess I wouldn't be providing him. I feel like I wouldn't be providing him the same safety and the same consistency that I could give him now with just myself um, because my husband is, on the road, it is just me and my child. So if I were to break up and divorce my husband, then that means that I have my master's degree so I can go and get a job anytime that I want to. But that means that I have to break up my child's normal. Right. 
that that and that is a big price and that's heavy to consider isn't it yeah and what makes you most sad about the idea of breaking up your child's normal erica that i'm going to break his heart that i'm going to not provide safety for him that i'm not going to provide he's going to feel abandoned like i did okay and and am i hearing tears yeah i'm crying and what and that's good. Let it out. Okay. Don't, don't hold that shit down. I have a, I have a feeling you've been holding back tears your whole life. Yeah. Let it out. And I want to know yeah. you, I want to know what in one sentence or less is really the saddest part as you consider, you know, your child in this equation or whatever the hell is going on inside of you. What is the saddest part that's causing you to cry right this moment? Because he's going to be scared when I take him to childcare and he's going to think that my mom doesn't want me anymore and she's giving me up and that's not the case because I don't want that to happen but it's something that I feel needs to happen for me to have a good life but at the same time my personality is that if I can just set my life aside for a few more years until he can get into school then maybe he would realize then but then I listen to your podcast and I hear you saying the younger the better so I always get stuck in between what I'm doing is right and what isn't right because I'm not thinking of myself I'm thinking of him do you discipline your child when your child gets mad and and shoves the neighbor girl well he's only 21 months old so okay, he's only so he a doesn't, okay. um <laughs> do you foresee yourself well that's coming up on two years so that's not that far off yeah. walk at one talk at two. Yeah. do you foresee yourself disciplining your child let's say if he if your child shoved the neighbor girl because your child was so upset mm-hmm. or something giving your child yes. a time out something along those lines I am practicing gentle parenting and not in a way where I look over my child for doing the things. Um, but I get down on his level and I teach him and I want him to learn in a way where I'm not trying to punish him in a mean way, Right. but I get down and I try to explain to him. And I'm afraid that somebody is not going to be able to, to do that. They're going to punish him in a way where I don't feel is helping. That isn't like I, the reason I'm asking this, and, and I, I respect that and I applaud that, you know, a gentle parenting is another wonderful way to raise children. There are many ways. There's not just one right way. And I'm all in favor of that. Where I'm going with this, what I'm wondering is when your child knows that you are upset with him or her or they, when your child knows you're upset with them, even if you're choking it down and not taking it out on them, when the child knows that, and feels bad for making mommy or daddy feel bad or for breaking the rules. Okay, so when my children were young, if my daughter hit, uh, let's just say, you know, because kids do that, you know, they they lose their temper and, you know. So if my daughter, for instance, uh, hit her brother, I can't recall it ever happening, but if he had, I would say, you know, sweetheart, you need to go up to your room. Okay, we don't hit in this house, you know that. You're not a bad person, but you just did a bad thing. And she would go up to her room and she'd be bawling the entire time. And I would say, when you're done, you know, when you're ready to come back into the group and act as a team player, come back. And then we'd talk it out. But the point is, my point is, when she is separated from the community of the family, she knows that she's done something bad and she feels bad. And somewhere in her, it registers as, am I still loved? Okay. And when the child returns, they get all the love in the world. And, and, uh, and it's not that I'm withholding love. 
I still love my child. That's not the point. The point is we have an issue right here. So the love has got to be so strong that even when you've broken the rules or even when I separate you from the community, a discipline, that's, a, that's disciplining a child, that I still love you. The love isn't in question, okay? But this is just part of life. Well, it's the same way with going to school. It's the same way with going to childcare. Yes, when your child goes to childcare the first time and the second time, maybe even the fifth time, they're gonna cry. And then this becomes their new normal. And guess what they discover? Mom still loves me. At the end of the day, mom's still there. I guess the one thing that I had, because I my choice in the matter when my husband and I decided to have a child was that I was gonna go back to work because I was... And why haven't you? Position. And why haven't you? Well, because when I was working after I had him, he asked me if I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And I said no, because my fear was that he was going to control our money. Mm -hmm. And he promised me, like he always promises. And he's controlling um, the money now, isn't he? <laughs> and he is now controlling our money. Right. The, the, worst, the worst thing you can be doing for your child is not sending them to daycare or creating a new normal. The kid, children will adjust. The worst thing you can be doing for your child is not giving yourself love because where the hell are you going to pour love into your child's love cup from? If you're bone dry, if you're miserable, your child needs to see you live happy see you live from your energy source. You need to model what it is. And if you wait, you know, what, four or five more, six more years till they're, well, five more years till they're in first grade, four more years till kindergarten, your child for the first four or five years of their life is having modeled for them what love isn't, what a marriage isn't, what a miserable mom is. And you got to think about, shit, is that really what I want my kid to get? And, and the, your child, just like you, just like me, we're constantly going into new normals in life. But does the love persist? Do you still love your child um, when you make adjustments? Or if we have to move for, you know, even if we're moving as a family, yes, uh, you're, you're going to stay in touch with your old friends, but you get to make new friends too. And yes, it's sad. And yes, it's painful. But when we go through life, we're always making adjustments to new normals. But that doesn't mean mommy doesn't love me. That does not mean mommy doesn't care. In fact, mommy cares so much that I want us to bring more love into our home. And, and you need to be happy. Um, I want to flip back over to Kim. Kim, I want to ask you this. Did your, so we were talking about your father and at age 12, he abandons you. I mean, just stopped all contact with you and your sister. And I want to ask you, what was the nature of your relationship with your dad before age 12? I was actually really good. I mean, we went camping, we went fishing. We, you know, he was home on weekends. He was a good dad. And then he just checked out of your life. He just checked out. And so when you think about that now, looking back, what is the single biggest feeling it makes you feel? I guess it hurt really, really hurt because my sister got really sick. My sister died from leukemia and he wasn't, he was, we didn't tell him. He didn't know until she died. He didn't know that he had a daughter that died. I got to ask, whose decision was that? My sister's husband. How old was your sister when she died? 44. And uh, your sister's husband made that decision. And uh, just out of curiosity, how did you feel about that decision? I didn't, I didn't, I wanted to tell my dad. I thought he had a right to, even though we didn't talk, I thought he had a right to know his daughter was dying. And why didn't you tell your dad? Because I do what I'm told. 
I've always done what I'm told. In that case, you're being told by, right. I, I, I mean, I, I've been in long ter- long-term relationships. It's like, but the notion that you're going to tell me what to do with my fucking sister and my fucking father, you know, it's well, like. Well, yeah, they had five small kids and I was terrified that he wouldn't let me have access to her kids. Yeah, that's that's a tough call. Given the exact same situation all over again, what would you do? I would have told him. But wouldn't you have lost access to the kids? I lost access to them anyway, so I would have told them. And why did you lose access to the kids? Because they, my sister had a $350,000 life insurance policy and he spent every dime of it on himself and didn't help. My mom had the kids for almost a year after my sister died. And uh, after he went through that money, he took the kids back and didn't let us see them. What a fucking piece of shit. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll be right back with more Badass Counseling right after this. Hi, this is KC. There's an update from the Badass Counseling Desk. The audiobook version of the book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, is now available exclusively only at badasscounseling.com. Okay, well, you've, you've heard the podcast. You've listened to other people's issues. Maybe you've studied hundreds of Sven's TikTok videos. Time to stop lurking. Face your fears. And focus directly on the one person in your life who can benefit the most from Sven's experience and insight. Now, that would be you. Just go to badasscounseling.com and order Sven's book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. Or check out his many video courses. Sven found a way to help himself out of a 12 years depression. It worked for him. And it can work for you too. Check out badasscounseling.com today. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back to the Badass Counseling Show. We are talking to Erica and Kim. And Kim just delighted us with this little nugget that uh, her ex-brother-in-law is uh, likes to spend his deceased wife's life insurance policy and then takes the kids back and you've not had contact with um, your nieces and nephews. Safe to say you feel a bit of hatred for your ex-brother-in-law, Kim? Oh, 100%, yes. Right. Um, okay. Erica, I want to come back to you just briefly. As long as we're on this topic of childhood, you said you had a pretty bad childhood, and now I'm seeing patterns. What precisely are the patterns you're seeing? <laughs> well, I want to say, one, if you think about the ACE test, I'm a 10 out of 10. And for so, those, <laughs> for my listeners who don't know what an ACE test is, briefly, what is an ACE test? I mean, an ACE test is what psychologists give to their um, clients to see where they would lie in adversity. And they give you these sets a set of 10 of the same questions and you get one point uh, for each question. And I score a 10 for a yes on every single and question. And that fundamentally indicates what about you? That I have had an adverse childhood and I, I also have childhood PTSD. And so you said you're seeing patterns. So what are the patterns you're seeing? Um, so my dad was incarcerated Um, so before my dad was incarcerated, when I was growing up, he had custody of my older brother and we are about 13, 14 months apart. Um, I lived with my mom who has schizophrenia and bipolar. 
And um, my dad would not come and pick me up on my weekends, you know, very inconsistent. But are you, wait, are you seeing patterns in your childhood or you, you said, I've had a pretty bad childhood and now I'm seeing patterns. So are you seeing patterns in your past yes. or are you seeing patterns in your present life? I'm seeing patterns of my dad's behavior in my husband. Ah, so dad treated you a certain way, obviously poorly, very mm -hmm. poorly. And now you're seeing the exact same thing or very similar things with your husband. And what's the moral of that tale? That I have abandonment issues. And specifically and what? Uh, that's kind of a, that's a phrase we throw out there, but what <laughs> really do you mean? I mean that I'm addicted to the fact that my uh, husband gaslights me the same way that my dad did and that he withholds love from me the same way. But what are you afraid, you, wait, let's stay on, before before we get too many of the catchphrases in the mix of okay. abandonment issues and gaslighting and so forth, I, I, I'm asking the question, what specifically is your abandonment issue? What I wanna know is what is your greatest fear? That they're not gonna love me. And if you walk away from him, which is what we were talking about with you, Erica, if you were to walk away from him, what is your fear? We talked about your child. So do abandonment issues apply if you're the one doing the abandoning? You're walking away from him. What's the fear? Mm -hmm. It's not that I, I won't be alone because I am alone every day. But, on, but what's but the difference? At the same time, it's... What's the I fundamental? I don't know. I, okay, is it possible... And, and I'm just running this by you. And Kim, I want you listening to this question as well. Is it possible that in the being alone, see you're alone now, but there's a difference. And the difference is you have someone. You have someone yeah. now versus if you were alone and you walked away, you'd have your son and, or your child. I don't know, son, daughter, doesn't matter. But you would have your child. And then unfortunately we start trying to siphon love from the child, even though we're not aware of it. We do it in really kind of under my underhand ways uh, and it's not pretty. But um, the fear in being alone when you don't have someone is the fear of all those messages. You got your whole life, your old man treated you like shit and you know, abandoned you for prison basically. And you know, and treated you like shit. And so the messages that that sends to a child when it's done repeatedly, the messages are, I suck, I don't matter, I'm not good enough. I'm un unwanted and unwantable and all those fucking voices come rising up. See, I suck, see, nobody loves me, nobody wants me. Whereas if you have someone, even if they gaslight you and, and trauma bond and et cetera, et cetera, even if they're total shit, the mere fact it's that someone. they wanna be with you, yes, it's someone. The mere fact that they're still in your life is a living, breathing counter message to the old beliefs of I suck, I'm no good, I'm unwantable, etc. All of those voices, once you walk away, then all those voices come rising up, don't they? They do. Right. And uh, Kim, does that maybe sound like that might be a little familiar to you too? It does, yeah, it does. I mean, the other day you said you sit alone with your thoughts for two hours and I couldn't even sit in the bathtub for 15 minutes without feeling like a horror in church. You know, I was just like, oh my God, I can't do this. I can't do this. <laughs> and, and feeling like a horror in church because you were naked or you're just alone and you're I'm just, yeah, I'm very, very uncomfortable. I mean, I cannot do this. Interesting. Um, Erica, back to you. Uh, are you able to, and, and it's kind of a hard question to ask now because you have a child, uh, but are you able to sit still, to be alone, to be calm? Um, I, I do, uh, have, I sit in my thoughts a lot and that's where I find myself thinking I have to go, I have to leave. And that's where that voice keeps telling me stick to the plan. 
And so what I've been doing is um, I've been saving what I can, you know, without trying to make it noticeable. But it's very hard when somebody is watching your money all the time and, and watching where it goes because I don't want to leave without having a plan. And and you said you're, st- but you're, you're sticking to a plan and very briefly in one sentence or less, what is the plan? To get out without be. So is that the plan you're sticking to? I feel like there's this voice that Mm -hmm. says stick to the plan. Is that the plan you're referring to, to get out? The plan, yeah, the plan is to get out. And what was the previous plan in your life? Wasn't the previous plan that you guys would have kids and you'd go back to work and uh, that way he couldn't just control the money? That was the previous plan, right? Um, That was the previous plan before he uh, started working for this company and and started making a lot more money and getting it. I guess, taste of that. And why were you not allowed to work? He wants me to stay at home with our child because he says that that's the best for him. And if he goes to childcare, then somebody else would be raising our child. How, and not his how very cleverly manipulative. Uh, he wants me to dot, dot, dot. But you don't want that too. So I have to ask the question, why aren't you working and taking your child to childcare? Because then I ultimately think that I'm going to be a bad mom Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought the original agreement was that you would go back to work. So when you made that agreement, you said, this is what I want and I'm gonna go back to work. Did you think back then when you made that plan originally, did you think that you would be a bad mom when you made that plan? No. Why? Why didn't you you think that? Why didn't you think that you would be a bad mom when you made that plan? Because I worked so hard to, to get to my career. And I, I worked myself up in a company and my dreams were that I was going to be a career woman and that I was doing so well. And that's great being a career woman. I am all for that. But isn't that a bad mom who is a career woman? I mean, that's what you were saying. You, you believe now. Well, no, I don't. I no, I don't think. Right. I mean, I guess I don't so, think that. No. Okay, there we go. So you do not believe that working and having a career and taking your child to childcare means you're a bad mom. You don't believe that. Is that what you're saying? That's true. Yes. Exactly. And because if you believe that, you would be condemning so many of our listeners. And you would even be condemning your old <laughs> self for thinking that. So you don't believe mm-hmm. it. And yet you're not working. Yeah. You don't believe that working is bad for a child. Working mothers, working fathers, I mean, wonderful parents, extraordinary parents, and in some cases, better than two parents. So I have a question back to you, Kim. We saw with Erica that she had this example of the primary man in her life growing up, basically treating her like shit, bad childhood, and now she's seeing patterns, and she's allowing herself to be treated like shit now stands to reason if that's what you think love is if that's what you're if that is what is modeled for you by your father or by your mother then it seems reasonable that when you become an adult that's your normal now would you say that's applicable to you kim yeah i mean my mom over my mom overloves um so and you see you okay and overloving then is uh, a pejorative in other words you're saying it's not good I give my mom a free pass, so. Ah, and you give her a free pass on what really above all else? Because she's had so much loss. Ah. And so I think she's just terrified. She's terrified of losing another person. Right, and so she's had so much loss, but you haven't. Is that what you're saying? Not as much as, not as, much as her. How's that? 
You lost a sister when, and a father. What has she lost? When she was 20, she lost her twins. When she was 30, she lost her dad. When she was 40, she lost my son. I had a two-year-old that died. Oh, so and you lost. When she was 50. Oh, whoa, whoa. Okay. And then, right, right, right. <laughs> when she was 50, she lost my sister. So you lost a son. You lost a son, a sister, and your father turned his back on you. But somehow her pain is more than yours. You have to take care. How old is your mother? 73. 73. So she's young. Okay. I'm just curious. Isn't that the pattern of your life? That everybody fucking else's voice matters more than your own. Everybody else's pain is worse. Everybody first, me last. I mean, you said that in your paragraph, right? That you're making excuses for everyone and it conveniently keeps you in the subjugated position. It conveniently just keeps you as nothing. Isn't that really the problem? Yeah. And I'm just, I am just curious, supposedly dad was good growing up, you know, up until age 12. And uh, back then, by the time you come around, if I'm not mistaken, your mom had already lost the twins. Yes. Okay. Yeah, she lost them first. And uh, to the best of your knowledge, did uh, she grieve over that? She never, she didn't talk about them. So probably not. She didn't talk about them. Okay. Is your mother a person who keeps the pain down or lets it all out and is crying all the time and is emotional or whatever? Or is she one that just packs it all down? Or is she something packs else? It all down. Does she? Yeah, she packs it on there. Yeah. Okay. And uh, how would you characterize your mother? Happy, bitter, uh, doting, uh, enthusiastic, Anx- anxious. anxious, anxious. She worries. She worries about every uh, shit that she should not worry about. And was that the case when you were growing up? How would you describe her? No. To, no. No. Okay. So it's reasonable to assume that all that pain is sort of built up, built up, built up, and now it's. Uh, living in fear and that comes out. Okay, what I'm trying to get at is you said your mom was a loving mom. I want to know what her role in this whole equation is. We know dad turned his back on you at age 12. I want to know what her role is in all of this. What happened with mom? Did mom, was she working then when you were 12? Was she gone? How were you treated by mom before and after 12? She started working. She started working after the divorce. You were then obviously getting less of her. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, she worked, she worked eight to five. So yeah. Oh, okay. So when you were in school, so not bad. Okay. Yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is I'm wondering what the single biggest feeling is that drives your life. I mean, there are many obviously, but what would you say is the biggest? Mad, sad, bad, glad, frustrated, enthusiastic, melancholy, lethargic, uh, calm, no. peace. What would, give me a feeling word. Uncertain, I guess. Just un. My whole life is uncertain. I mean, I have a good job. I go to work every day, but then I just, I don't know. I just don't know what to do with myself. And why is that a question? If you have a good job and go to work every day, why is that a question? In other words, what's missing? I guess my childhood dream is missing. My partner, I don't know how to let go of that. I don't know how to let go of that and just uh, not, let go not of what? need that. My having someone in my life. Okay. How about this? What if I could all but guarantee you that you will have that someone in your life, all but guarantee. I can't 100% guarantee it because I don't have that kind of power. But that it starts with you loving yourself. And I know it's a cliche. Yes, I know we've all heard it. But what that means is what if you were to start by beginning to bit by bit cut out of your life the things that don't breathe life into you? See, the path to discovering who we are requires discovering who we're not. It means feeling what feels Use a kid word, yucky. Just what doesn't feel good? Who sucks? Who sucks or what sucks or what do I not enjoy? You know what? 
Some days I drive a different route to my gym or to my Starbucks just because I get sick of driving the same damn route. I know that sounds trivial and stupid, but guess what? Those days when I drive a different route, I'm a little happier. And those days then when I go back to driving the normal route, it's okay. And it's so trivial, but that's what I'm talking about. In the teeny tiny, in the small, in the medium, in the large, and in the super large. So just off the top of your head, without telling me what they are, if you if you were to just off the top of your head speculate, uh, how many how many things do you have in your life that just sort of bleed your life energy? Just off the top of your head. Four. Four. And just out of curiosity, what's at the top of the list? I got to hear. My home life. My uh-huh. home life. Uh-huh. And what is and your single greatest fear in changing your home life is that you'll be alone and have to face all those voices from the past? Is that it? All the feelings inside of you? Is that correct? Yeah. And the financial part. And let me ask you, you said you work. Could you figure the financial part out? Yes. Okay. So worst case scenario then is you're on your own. You got to figure it out. Maybe go lean for a while. Yeah. Um, but you could do it. Is that correct? Yeah. Erica, if you were to go single and do it on your own, you know, financially, could you figure it out? That's one thing that I look at every time I think about it and I add up everything and think that this is the specific number that I have to earn to be able to survive. And I think that I could, Mm -hmm. but it's a fear in my brain that says, well, what if you can't? Sure. Fair enough. And the fear is always there. And I guarantee if I were to ask Kim, she'd say, yeah, she has fear too. I mean, that's why this comes up. I mean, it's the financial and it's the emotional. Those both, You're both basically saying the same thing. It's financial and emotional. In your case, Erica, have you even looked into what divorce laws would do for you financially? If he's working all this time, that means he's not in all likelihood going to be a half-time parent, right? Yeah, I thought about that as well. And we do have a joint bank account. But when I had said that he moves the money is like whenever he would, he gets intoxicated and then I say something, he moves it to a, a thousand, ten thousand dollars at a time to a bank account that doesn't have my name on it. So when we get into an argument, I feel like now I have to step on eggshells so that I am always, you know, good. You can't you can't live this way, Erica. You cannot <laughs> live this way. This has to stop. And what I strongly recommend uh, in both of your cases, but in your case, Erica, is uh, go and just gather information. And what I mean is talk to a couple of different divorce lawyers. And, you know, potentially, you know, a, a forensic accountant gets brought into it or whatever, but you have ever, if you're raising that child, and if you've been raising that child and so forth, there are financial considerations that getting a divorce, I, I would be, I'm not a lawyer, but I would be shocked if you come out of it, you know, starting with ground zero with just zero. But the bottom line is, well, let me ask it this way. Erica, which is the bigger issue for you? Give me a percentage. What percent of getting a divorce and leaving is, what percent is financial and what percent is emotional? I think that it would probably be maybe 80, 80% financial, 20% Fair. emotional, because I do believe that, you know, I can get through the emotional piece. Let me ask you a question, Erica. As you listen to Kim's story, what do you find yourself wanting to say to Kim? I mean, she's been played second fiddle her whole life. Her father is a dick. You know, ex-brother-in-law was a bigger dick. 
you know, first husband cheats, second husband extremely abusive. She's in a relationship now where she's clearly fucking miserable. Otherwise, she wouldn't be fucking her ex-brother-in-law. I say that I give a lot better advice than I take Well, it. I want to hear what, you, and, and I believe that. So let's hear that great advice. What do you th- want Kim to do with her life? What do you think Kim should do? I think that she's obviously not happy, so she needs to make a life that's happier for herself. And specifically, what does that mean? What should Kim do? That means that if she wants to divorce her husband, then she should do that. And do you think she should divorce her husband? I don't necessarily know if she she should divorce her husband because I don't know their situation. But spitballing it, I know. But, know. Do, but And I don't know her, her situation any better than you do. So I'm asking, if you were watching it on TV and it was the Kim story starring, um, who would it be starring, Rob? The Kim story starring... Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. The Kim story starring Taylor Swift. And you're watching it and it's on Lifetime and your child is asleep and you got a big bowl of popcorn and you're watching Kim's story and you're rooting for her or maybe you're saying you're dumb or whatever you're shouting at the TV. What do you want Taylor Swift playing Kim to do in the movie at this juncture in Kim Taylor Swift's life? I want her to um, to make a decision for herself. And what do you want her to do, do? <laughs> yes, make a decision for herself. But what do you want her to do? Come on. You're not playing fair. You know what you'd be shouting at the TV. Get away from him. I would tell her to leave the, the guy that she's having sex with because she's only degrading herself. But and what? I would, okay, then what? <laughs> and I would say if you're not happy with the person that you've been in, in love with for the entire time that you've been with him, then it's not going to change that so you should probably leave. Oh, you should probably leave. And I'm just curious. Why did I have to pull teeth to get that answer out of you? What was it about that that you didn't want to say? And it's okay. I'm just curious. Because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. And so you believe that you're sharing your opinion on her life. You sharing it might hurt her feelings. You didn't want to say it. Well, that's reasonable. That's very kind, very Mm -hmm. gentle. But you came on this show and you specifically said, I need hard advice that can change my life. You said that. Yeah, I need you to tell me the truth. I need, I know and that. is it possible that that's exactly what Kim needs? She needs you yeah. to tell the truth. <laughs> well, I don't want to be the one to tell her the truth. No. And, and it, <laughs> oh, but you admit there is a truth. You admit there is I a truth. I want you to be the one to tell us the hard uh-huh. truth. <laughs> All right, Kim, Kim, now you know the game here, Kim. Uh, you're watching the Erica story starring, who's this one starring, Rob? Uh, Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. Ooh, I love it. Love it. Great actor. Um, all right. So we're watching the Erica story starring Nicole Kidman. And Kim, what are you shouting at the TV when you see this whole thing playing out? And this guy, husband, manipulating the money and making her walk on eggshells. And she's terrified. And she bought into his plan for parenting and abandoned her career. What are you shouting at the TV? Or what are you feeling? Kim, answer either one of those questions. I would tell her, you know, my second marriage, my triplets were 18 months old when we split. And I had to put them in daycare. I had to go back to work. I put three babies in daycare and they thrived. They thrived. But how could they know that you love them? Because, I mean, that's Erica's concern is that the kids are going to think mommy doesn't love them. The kids are going to think I'm abandoning them. What's your answer to that question? I didn't leave them there. I picked them up at the end of the day. Exactly. I didn't leave them for oh, weeks so at a time. Oh, so you still they, love them at the end of the day? 
at the end of the day, they're still my kids. Exactly. They're still mine. So put put your kids in daycare. Start moving some money around. Start taking little bits out. I mean, what's he going to do? Divorce you? That's what I've do been it. doing. Yeah. And, so and the, I've and, been doing a savings challenge. And in the and in the divorce, there's going. you're the mother of the children. I don't know what state you live in. I think you're both in the United States. But no matter what state you live in, there's fair compensation. As long as you've got a decent lawyer. And, uh, you know, there's fair compensation for, you know, the person doing the greater parenting and, and so forth that, you know, lawyers are pretty, pretty smart. Yeah. So, so Kim, then what are you feeling as you're watching the Erica story starring Nicole Kidman? What are you feeling? What's the feeling word? I'm feeling a little jealous that her husband's gone for weeks at a time. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think of that, Erica? (laughs) Well, he's been gone for 13 years total, so it gets a little lonely. No, I get that. I get that, too. No, I just, I I think that she's stronger than she gives herself credit for. And what about you, Kim, on this whole stronger than she gives her credit, self-credit for I, 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 I say that to myself, you know, I'm, I'm a school principal. I, I'm in charge of all these people. And I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like a fucking idiot. I don't, there, it's two, two different things. I don't understand the difference. Yeah. It's because in our, in I our, completely understand that. Right. That feeling and, is how I feel too. Yep. And though the stakes are higher in our, in our, in so many ways in our personal lives, when it comes to family of origin and when it comes to marriage, it's because you're terrified. Both of you ladies are terrified. You ask for hard advice. Here it is. You're both fucking terrified. And you've lived your lives in fear. You, your voice got squelched at a very young age. And we didn't have the ability to go all the way in for both of you and examine your full childhood. But there's culpability on the part of the mothers too. It's not just one parent. All right. Because both of you came out of childhood with no voice. Both of you came out of childhood. And here you are at whatever ages you're at. And you're walking on eggshells. You're, you're, you're acting in ways that you don't even want to be acting. I'm not talking about cheating. It's like, fine, that, whatever. I'm not talking from a moral aspect. I'm just talking about you're, you're both fucking miserable because you've lost your voice. And until you love yourself enough, and we all say that, but what the hell does it mean? It means you start cutting out of your life those things that are not you. And even if you can't do the big one yet, Erica, even if you feel like you can't get out just right now, what are all the little ones you can do? And in what ways, Kim, in what ways can you more and more begin to love on yourself? Because you guys, you have to understand, this is going to come out in every single aspect of your parenting. Your self-loathing, your I don't matter that is down there, embedded, written into the wet cement that got poured over the bedrock of your soul, is my voice doesn't matter, I don't matter. And that comes through in your parenting. We start to use our children to get our own needs met, or we start to not be there for show up for our children in the ways we need to show up, such as standing up for them. I mean, you can speculate and say, you know, I could ask the question, well, what are you going to do if your husband treats your kids like this? And we can speculate and say, well, I'd stand up for my kids, but would you? Because are you standing up for your kids right now? In other words, and this goes to both of you, I'm not just talking to one of you. You know, are you standing up for your kids? Are you showing them what self-love is? Are you modeling self-love? Or has it occurred to you that the way you are, do you know that 80 or 90% of a child's or of a, an adult's learning happens before the age of four? 80% of how they, and, and if you're a K through 12 principal, if you're a school principal, Kim, you know exactly what the fuck I'm talking about, right? And by the time they hit your first grade, all of their social skills have already been taught, or a great right. amount of it. And your teachers who are, uh, that is probably my absolute favorite profession. 
are teachers. Mad respect. My mother was a school teacher and ended up teaching at the graduate level. And they're having to correct the mistakes that have already been made by age five, by age six, right? Yes. 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 So this notion of, well, shit, the shit I'm doing now, it's not really going to have an impact because my kids only whatever. And your kids, it sounds like are older, Kim, and then Erica's, but you're modeling this stuff. You're showing them what love is. You're showing them what love isn't. And by you modeling it, has it occurred? You both of you did what? You were taught that you were shit as a child. You were taught that you were no good, that you don't have a voice, that you don't matter. And so then that became your love model when you walk into your teens, when you walk into your 20s and 30s, this notion that I'm shit. And so you, what do we naturally choose? That which is familiar. And red flags out the window. Either You can't even see them because in your childhood, those weren't red flags. That was just normal. And so you just go into adulthood and you keep acting out those same values that my voice doesn't matter, all right? And now you're parents. So guess what your children are learning about love? The shit that you guys are doing right now. You are teaching them that this is what love is. This marriage, this is what love is. This uh, self-abnegation, this re uh, relegating myself to a lesser position, you're teaching them that this is what self-confidence is. You're teaching them that this is what self-love is. You are both in, an ex in extraordinarily powerful positions, raising young lives. And, and Erica, we didn't get into what your master's degree is in, but Kim, you are leading people who are leading children. You are an extraordinarily powerful person. And one of my very, very dearest friends in the entire world, his wife is an elementary school principal. And she's like, shit, Sven, I, I, I never knew that my job is just to open my door and there's a line of teachers out the door needing to talk about problems they're having. You know, you're, you're the school psychologist instead of the psychologist a lot of the times. But the point is the power that you two have, whether it's that one child under your roof or all the children you're influencing, but you're teaching him. You are teaching your own children that this is what love is, that this is what marriage is. And so guess what? We call this generational trauma. You are now passing it on yeah. to your kids. So what you are living now in your self-love or a lack of self-love, you are teaching to your child. And guess what's gonna happen when your little girl or your little boy is 13 and they meet the first person that they kiss for the first time or the first hand they hold. And it starts. And it starts by saying, oh my God, this feels so good as first love always feels. So does second and fourth and eighth love feels so good. But you've taught them that in order to be loved, you gotta sell the farm. Give them everything. Give them what they want. I, I don't matter. I just, just give me that teaspoonful of love. Just, and you know what? I don't even need a teaspoonful. I can do a half teaspoonful. Just give me that love. I'll give you everything. So you're teaching it now, both you guys. Do you understand the incentive to change? Go ahead, Kim, what? I'm sorry, I have a question. So all my boys are grown and right and married. Right. And I'm just I'm I'm terrified. I'm I'm terrified for them. And what specifically are you terrified for most? Because I don't I don't want them to repeat the things that I've done. I don't want them to be me. They are. They are. Now they may may be responding to you and to their father. They may be responding differently, but the imprinting is the same unless deliberate action is taken on the part of the parent or on the part of they themselves, and you would know if they were doing deep inner work, the imprinting is there. They either have to rewrite their script or you have to rewrite your script and teach them something new. You think, I mean, you talked about how much you care about your mother's pain. You don't think your boys grieve. 
What do you think your your fucking boys are thinking as they are watching the Kim movie as played by Taylor Swift? They're saying, God damn it, mom, just be happy. Please, mom, please. They're, they grieve, grieve for their mother. Sons grieve for their mothers. Nobody wants you to be happier than they do. And I guarantee they are repeating some of your patterns. It's time to change, Kim. It's time to have the courage to change. There's no doubt about it. And what it means, and this is you too, Erica. This means you both have to go into all of your fears, all of the self-work. You have to face that shit so that you can. Erica, you said you already can sit alone and that's excellent. Now go deeper in where it makes you want to get up and move around, where it makes you want to find something to get busy so that you don't have to feel it. Kim, you're quite, you're right there. But that says there's still stuff inside of you both that you have to go into. There is still stuff inside, the very stuff that makes you the most uncomfortable, that makes you want to get up and move around or hide out in your child, uh, Erica. And you didn't say you do that, but that's the natural reflex. What's the? You always have a, a distraction from your own inner stuff if you have a child. <laughs> you have a distraction from everything when you have a child. But you guys have to face, Erica, there is no doubt in my mind that you need to get the hell out of that relationship and you need to be talking to some lawyers and just, for the record, your husband does not sound like someone who plays fair. So the notion of mediation, no, and, right? And so the notion of mediation, or you know, you don't want, you don't have to go atomic bomb, but you got to be prepared to if that's what if that's where he takes mm -hmm. it. A little trick: if uh, there are best lawyers in whatever town or city you live in or live near, go and talk with them first. Just interview with them, even if it's just a thirty-minute consultation. Why? Because then he can't. Okay. And I don't normally like to give people like tactical stuff, how to fuck somebody over, but he's already clearly fucking you over. And that's not fair. Yeah, I just caught on to that. I just caught on to that. And that's something that I'm trying to wrap my head around because for so long, I kept saying to myself, he would never. And now I'm realizing, yes, he would. He's already, yeah. And he already breached the contract. He already breached the contract, your relationship, when he said, no, you stay at home. And because I don't want my kid in childcare, fuck you. You want control. He wants control. He wants you living in fear. That's why he moves the money around. That He has you walking on eggshells. And I guarantee, I guarantee, when you think about your child, I want you to now consider the movie of your life. And now you're sitting on the sofa watching it with Kim. And, you know, and uh, it's the Erica story as played by Nicole Kidman. But the person playing you and the movie of your life is your child as a seven-year-old, as a 14-year-old, as a 33-year-old. It's your child living this. I think it's reasonable to assume that now you are shouting at the TV, aren't you, Erica? Yeah. Yeah, and what are you shouting to the uh, Erica story as played by, now not played by Nicole Kidman, but as played by your child? What are you shouting at the TV to the main character of your own life story played by your child? You deserve better. And what are you shouting though? get the fuck out there we go now <laughs> there we go kim you are now watching the kim story as played by one of your sons you said you have three sons i have six you have six all boys i have six all boys my mom had three of them are triplets <laughs> okay my mom had uh five boys and one girl but uh my sister was definitely one of the boys. Um, all right. And so your three of them are triplets. Okay. And one of your boys is playing you or one of your boys is we're doing the male version as played by the, the one of the sons that you have this maybe a soft spot for right now. 
you know, soft spots come and go, playing you in the movie or in the exact same stuff. What are you shouting at the TV? You're out, you're, you're sitting there next to Erica and you guys are sharing popcorn. Um, and uh, what are you shouting at the TV with your son playing your life? Don't stay stuck. Don't stay stuck. Figure out a way to get out. Right. And you got a career. You have income. You can live lean. Yeah, you got to get the fuck out. You got to, it's in, and so we're, we're wrapping it up here now, but I want to say this is both of you still have a lot more. The financial stuff can always be worked out. It really can. All right. But you guys have this shit inside of you that has to come out. You can't keep running from this stuff. You can't keep running from all the pain and the anger. And just because your mom endured a lot of pain or whatever, for at least, at the very least, for the first 18 years of your life, she had the obligation to you, just like I know you feel the obligation to your kids, Kim. She had an obligation to show up doubly, really. I mean, once once you're, you get abandoned by your own father, she had a responsibility to show up as well. You both need to be looking at both your parents, the culpability of both your parents, because very often what happens is one parent hides in the shadow of the other parent who's the monster. And so it's quite possible that a lot of your emotional shit is being untouched, but you guys have to go into this. You wanted the hard advice, Erica. Well, I'm giving it to both of you. You have to go into this shit. You have to. There's, it's no question. You want to find yourself, Kim? You said, I don't know who I am. I don't know what to do. You, go, you find yourself by getting all of that crud out. Erica, you wanted the hard advice. You need to get the fuck out. You need to talk to lawyers, start gathering information. That doesn't mean you have to act today in terms of actually signing any papers, but you start gathering information. I don't know the laws in your state. I don't know shit about law. But I do know that gathering information is necessary before making any decisions. And right now, technically, it sounds like you're, you've already sort of made a plan, but without gathering all the information. Bottom line is it's time. Because the truth is, and if it's not time, that's okay. But remember this one thing, and it's simply this. Change will not occur until the pain gets bad enough. And either your pain is bad enough now or it's going there. And if it's not now, that's okay. Gather information, all right? But your pain is gonna get worse. As you both are experiencing, this shit doesn't just magically fucking heal itself. And so your pain is going to get worse and it will finally drive you to, I gotta fucking do this. And it, what the pain is, is thinking about my own kids, what I'm modeling for them, because you're still teaching them, Kim. Even though they're grown and gone, you are still teaching them. And, they're, and if they see that you're staying in this miserable posi position in life and that you're miserable, they'll feel pity for you. And it's sad for you. And so they're wasting life energy worrying about mom. Imagine how exuberant, who your six biggest fucking fans would be if you started changing your life and becoming happy. Who do you think would be cheering fucking loudest? Six kids, right? Yes. Right. Erica, you are at a pivotal moment in your child's life. And your child needs you to begin to love yourself. Let me ask you, uh, there's obviously an age difference here. Kim, do you wish you would have done this when your children were 18 months old? Oh, 100%. Yeah, right. I'm 50 now. I feel like I wasted all these years. Right, and it feels like a waste, but the other side of that, I'm 55. In, if you live to you know into old age, you still got 40 more years left, plus or minus, right? Yeah. Right, and it wasn't a waste. And you know, there's that great line from the movie, The Natural, Robert Redford and um, Glenn Close. And Glenn Close's character says, you know, Sonny, I think his name was in the movie, Basically, and this is a shitty paraphrase on my part, I apologize, but we each get two lives, the life you learn with and then the life you live. And it wasn't a waste.
it only, it's only a waste if you keep doing it tomorrow and next month and next year. Because that means you know the problem, you know the solution and you're not taking it. Now it is a waste. Effective today, it is a waste if you aren't on the path to changing. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. And and just out of curiosity, uh, two questions. One, to what degree do you fear that you're not lovable and that no one will want you? What percent? Give me a percent. 12%, 73%, 99%, 43%. What percent do you fear you will be, that you're unlovable? Go ahead, Kim, sorry. 90, 90, 90, 99. 99%. How about you, Erica? I feel like I would bring a lot to the table. So, I mean, I, 70. 70%. 70%. All right. All right. So those are both very big numbers. Those are big numbers. And the way we start loving on ourselves, the way that number goes down, where we feel we will be lovable or are lovable is by getting out of our lives all the things that are not you by the mere fact of cutting out anything that is not you. You know what? I really don't like whole milk. I like the taste, but <laughs> I don't like the fact I grew up on skim milk, right? And I love the taste of whole milk, but I'm drinking, you know, if I'm in a relationship and we just have whole milk because, you know, whatever, she does the shopping or whatever and, you know, whatever, it's like, no, I don't want whole milk because then I have to work harder in the gym and I don't like working harder in the gym. I want to do the minimum amount of work to be as vain as I possibly can, okay? <laughs> and so it's like, no, I'm going to go and buy my own nonfat milk. Okay, so that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But that's where it starts. Then in every decision in my life, does it more and more reflect who I am and do I begin to cut out bit by bit that which I am not? That, that very act is an act of self-love. Self-love isn't a feeling. Self-love is an action. Just like loving someone else, we say, oh, love is a verb. Yeah. So stop being the things that aren't you. Stop being and doing the things that aren't love to you. I want to ask you the final question, and that is, Erica, what do you most want to say to Kim? I would say because you do have adult children, and I know that we didn't get into a lot or anything with my mom, but when he says that your adult child does look at you and want you to be happy, there isn't anything that I would, wouldn't want more as I was growing up seeing my mom unhappy and in the relationships that she was in, that I would want her to just choose herself because I seen it the most that she deserved better and she settled for trash. And I think that with you, you're settling for way less than what you deserve. And I think that you're going to get the courage to get up and live the life that you want to, as long as you put the effort behind it. What does it feel like to hear that, Kim? It's, it's, it's hard to hear, you know, that a stranger can see that and I can't. Yeah, that it's that obvious. And that came from a heartfelt place with Erica of yes. wanting that for her own mother. Okay, Kim, what do you most want to say to Erica? That, you know, I've been through divorce when my kids were very, very little and they will, he, your little kid will be okay. He will. They're resilient. They love their, my boys love me. Even if all the fuck ups I've done, all this, my boys are still, I talk to them every day. I see them every day. They still love me. Even the fuck up that I am, they still love me. What does it feel like to hear that, Erica? It makes me feel um, a little reassurance because that is something that I'm scared of. And I don't know a lot of people that have gone through divorce, so I don't necessarily understand what the steps are, but it is reassuring to have another mother tell me it's going to be okay. Beautiful. It's going to be okay. 
And yeah, it, you, you haven't been through a divorce, don't know a lot of people that have been through divorce. You're talking to a, a divorce expert in Kim. <laughs> <laughs> she has 18 ex-husbands working on another one. Hey, yes. I, I do want to say this though, Kim, and I, I enjoy your, your sense of humor about it, Kim. And I just hope that sense of humor, by the way, that you don't beat up on yourself too much. Um, you know, self-deprecation, you know, that's it's a charming characteristic, but your default is to beat yourself up. Um, and, and that has to change. I may have said this on the air before, I don't recall, but the woman I'm with now, she said when she was a child, she, it was her dream. And even in her twenties and so forth, it was her dream to have the sort of marriage that her parents had, you know, forever sort of thing. And she said, Sven, now in my fifties, I realized that I'm kind of glad I didn't. She has an ex-husband. She had a long time, a man she was with for a very long time uh, before she met her husband and had a long time relationship there. And then her ex-husband, long time relationship there. And he's part of our family. Now I really like the guy. And, uh, you know, spends holidays with us because they have a child together. But she said, I realized if I had had what my mom had and my dad had, that I would have missed out on all these really wonderful men who taught me so much. So we think that there's only one mode of going through life, you know, and we have that dream when we're children. There's nothing wrong with that dream. And sometimes we have that dream. Um, and sometimes we, the universe throws us something, something unexpected and it can turn out to be even better than the original dream. So you don't have to abandon your dream, Kim. You don't have to abandon your dreams, Erica. Um, but you have to sort of love yourself first before you can have that love that's gonna love you forever and love you the right way. Erica, your husband already breached the contract of the relationship by going back on his promises and by being mean to you. Kim, you're breaching the contract with your own self. You are now telling, you're both doing this actually. and. Here's the hard advice. And it's not even hard advice, it's just observation from a stranger. You are both telling seven-year-old Erica and seven-year-old Kim, your voice doesn't matter. You're doing it now. You're doing it at your present age. You don't wanna get those feelings out, do you, Kim? You, they're too scary for you. So now it's you saying to 12-year-old Kim, fuck you, little girl, your feelings don't fucking matter. And 12-year-old Kim is coming to you saying, please, please open the vault and empty it. You're stronger than I was. I was only 12. I was a little girl. I wasn't strong enough to get those out. Please do it. Get it all out so that we can finally be me. We can finally be that four-year-old version of ourselves. Please. The 12-year-old is begging you. She's brought you the, the cigar box that she put all her feelings in and her voice in. She's begging you to open it. And you too, Erica, begging you. And if you don't open it now, knowing that you have to, for her sake, to finally give her her voice back to finally go and begin the life that you originally were. Because all this shit that you're doing now, these are the lies that got implanted into you. And if you don't do it now, you are telling that seven-year-old self, fuck you. Now it's you squelching her voice. It's not anyone else. Now that you're aware of what the work is that needs to be done and giving that girl her voice back. If you don't do it, now it's not them. Now it's not daddy or mommy. Now it's you. And I know you both want to come alive and that's the way to do it. Any final thoughts besides fuck you, Sven? I'm not saying fuck you. I'm saying thank you. You're very sweet. Very sweet, Erica. Thank you. Kim, any thoughts? No, thank you so much. I got to get my shit together. I just don't know. got to do it. That's all right. Just go back in the book, go to Diamonds and Raw Sewage, read that chapter and the, the Raw Sewage list. 
and start chipping away at your raw sewage list. Those four or five things you can list in your life that are raw sewage, that aren't you, you have to start. You have to. You have to find ways to cut the raw sewage out. It's not that you're not going after what you want. It's that you have all this shit in your life that you don't want, and it's time to start removing that. Well, ladies, I want to thank you so much for being on this show. Um, you were wonderful. You were so open and raw and real and supportive of each other, and I think that was really the pivotal piece today, Rob. Yeah, two extraordinary women with great strength that they fear to use. They should take the wonderful advice that they gave to each other and turn it on themselves. Amen. Amen. I agree. And Casey has given a double thumbs up over there on the same on your thoughts there, Rob. Thank you again, ladies. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Badass Counseling Show. It's been a pleasure talking with Erica and Kim. And I hope you got out of it as much as we did, because this is really two very powerful stories coming from two very passionate and strong and uh, courageous women. And I think uh, on behalf of all of our listeners, we say thank you to you, ladies. But we also were shouting at the movie screen, go, come on, go, go, Kim, go, Erica. You can do it. You can do it. So thank you so much to all of our listeners around the world. I hope you have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Kick-ass day.